Japa. I'm excited to see all of you. We're going to be in the book of Colossians tonight, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, and we're going to be discussing the preeminence of Christ tonight. Why Jesus is the most important, most supreme being of all creation, he himself never having been created, all things being created through him. You guys ready to pray? All right, let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this evening. We ask you to bless our time in this text. Lord, that you would reveal yourself as the greatest one who has ever existed, the one who deserves all the glory and all the praise. We ask now, Lord, you would bless us as we engage with your word and let us come away closer to you, Lord, who you truly are. In your name we pray, amen. Now, if you look at this verse, there's a couple of incredibly key texts, and we see it right off the bat in verse 15. The Bible says, he, he being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, I have to stop right there. This Greek word here for firstborn, the uh, protokonos, meaning the first given or preeminent one, is not describing Jesus as having been created. This verb is being used in the Greek, this word is being used to describe Jesus as having the rights and privileges and title of the firstborn. So he's not God's first in that sense that God created him, because Jesus exists eternally with God the Father and the Trinity. Instead, rather, Jesus is being given the place of authority here. He is the one in charge. Okay? So he's the firstborn of all creation, the greatest of all creation. Verse 16, and this is how another reason we know he wasn't created. Look at the context of 16. For by him all other things were created. So all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Everything was created by Christ. He himself is not created. He is the creator. He has the uh, invisible attributes of deity. He is the one who creates. He's not created. And what does he create? He created us. Jesus was involved with God the Father in Genesis 1 with the Holy Spirit. That's why Genesis 1 says, let us go down and make mankind in our image. Verse 17 and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So there's an incredible truth here that your life is not being held together by your power. All the work you're putting into school, all the, all the stress you put on your life, all the, all the activities you're in, and all the, the thoughts about graduation and career and all these things, you're not holding that together because you can't. Christ holds it together, and when Christ isn't there, that's when things fall apart. Why is our world so broken? Why are families so often stripped apart more than they're together? Because Christ isn't there. He's not in the hearts of some people. He's not worshipped. He's not sought. He is not praised. Instead, they seek their own will, and they fall apart. Christ is over all. It's the theme of our, our study in Colossians. Okay, Look up on the screen there. Christ is over all. All. He is the greatest, most important person who has ever existed and will ever exist, and his personhood extends to deity. He is God. He's not like God. He's not near God. He doesn't have some of the qualities of God. He is the Lord. He is God, and by his being God, he deserves worship. He deserves worship. Paul mentions 
seven unique characteristics of Christ here. Okay? Pay attention now. Number one, he is the image of God. Number two, he's the firstborn over all creation. Number three, he's the creator of the universe. Four, he's the head of the church. Five, he's the firstborn from the dead. Six, the fullness of God. And seven, he is the reconciler of all things. No comparable listing of characteristics is comparable to Christ and his deity. Christ is the supreme sovereign of the universe. And this sovereign king, this king who created not just the world, not just the universe, but you yourself, wants a personal relationship with you. He laid down his own life. He shed his own blood so that you and he could have communion, could be in relationship, could be in brotherhood with each other. And yet he's rejected by so many. And why is he rejected? The Bible says that the gospel has gone out to the whole world. Romans chapter 1 says that even creatures in creation can look at the nature of the universe, the nature of the world, and perceive the attributes of God, but they still reject them. No one is innocent. No one. No one is more important than Christ. Look at verse 19. No, I'm sorry, verse 18. He is the head of the body and the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything in him might be preeminent. He's the head of this establishment. Guys, there's an important uh, connection you need to make tonight. If you are interested in church, it should be because you're interested in Christ. He is the head of the church. He is the reason we're here. It's by his abilities that we are here, not ours. And if you're here, for some other reason, apart from Christ, you are here for the wrong reason. Now, it's okay not to know exactly where you're at. Okay? It's good to be honest. It's good to be real before God. You might be sitting out there tonight and thinking, I'm not exactly sure. You know, I, I just don't know. I don't, know where I don't even know where my faith is yet. Guys, that's okay. But if you're not seeking Christ, even, even in a state of uncertainty, un, if you're not seeking Christ, then why are you here? See, I'm going to submit there's a couple of things going on. Number one, you are here for a reason of your own doing. You're here for a reason of your own choosing. You're here for a reason that doesn't have a lot to do with God, so you think. But students, I'm going to tell you that in the will of God, you're here because God wants you here. You're here because God has ordained you to be here. You think this was random? All the different things that had to line up and work properly? Everything from this microphone working to your grandma's car starting on time, all of that lined up so you could be sitting right here hearing my voice? You think that was a random chance? No, my friends. This is the will of God. The will of the preeminent one. The fullness of deity that exists within this Jesus. No other person is given this place. No other person apart from Christ because he is fully God. He has a plan for your life and you sit here tonight either in rejection of him or embracing him. There's no in-between. There is no place to continuously shrug your shoulders. There is no place to say, I don't know. Or I, I just, I'm not sure. Those of you who have been sitting in here and hearing this word preached, you should be sure by now. 
And what you should be sure of is this, is that you're either worshiping Christ or you reject Christ. There is no middle ground. There's no place to be besides either embracing His gospel or rejecting it. There's no middle ground. There's no place to be. That's why there's heaven and hell. There's no middle ground. People have invented places like purgatory. They've invented other places the Bible has no mention of because they don't exist. But the Bible speaks of God's throne room and the lake of fire. There's only two places. He is the head of the church. He is preeminent. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ has the fullness of God's deity. He's not less than even when he was in the fleshly body for those years, right? Even when he was in the fleshly body for those 33 years on the earth, he still had the fullness of deity. Scholars call this the hypostatic union. The the, the God, Jesus, inside of the man, Jesus, and the two becoming one there. I know that can be a little confusing, but Jesus had a physical body. It bled. It died. It got thirsty. He got hungry. You know, he got weak. He had to sleep. He had a physical body. But he also had the fullness of deity. That's why he knew when the Pharisees were thinking things. He knew what their thoughts were because only God knows the thoughts. Only God. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 11, the Bible says this, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So at this name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, which is death, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why you're created, students. That's why you're here tonight, adults. That's why you're here, Christian and non-Christian alike. You are here to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we do everything we do. That's why this church exists. That's why we have fall festivals. That's why we continue to meet together like this week after week and day after day so that we can lift up our worship to Christ who is worthy. Who is worthy. Look at verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peace through piercing. Peace through violence. Christ has made peace through the shedding of his blood. Very seldom is blood shed and it be a peaceful outcome. Usually when blood is shed, it is an act of violence, it is an act of pain, it is an act of hurt. But Christ, through the shedding of his blood, holy, perfect blood, which has not sinned because he's Christ, through this shedding of violence, the shedding of pain, the shedding of blood, he has reconciled you and brought you to himself. Look at verse 21. And, And let's nobody try to deny this, okay? We know this is true about ourselves. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, We used to be hostile to God. And students, let me tell you, some of you right in here right now are still hostile. You still are. Okay? I'm sorry, but it's just the truth, and I want to be honest with you. I'm not going to call anybody out by name or point at anybody because I don't even know your heart. I'm just going by the outward actions. You might be the most well-behaved, most polite, smiley Christian in here, and the inside of your heart's dark and in rejection 
with God's will. I used to be hostile. I used to be hostile to the Lord, but at a great glorious day when God saw fit to redeem this hostile young person and bring him to himself. You were hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Guys, what do you want to be tonight? Do you want to be hostile to God? Or do you want to be embraced by God and made holy? Because that's what I want. I don't want to stay in hostility. I don't want to stay angry with the Lord. I don't want God angry with me. Instead, I want to, fa- I want to fall at His throne with my face low and say, Lord, I am the chief of sinners. I'm the worst one. I'm the one who needs forgiveness. And have God say to me, you're forgiven. You're forgiven, not because of what you have done, but because of what my son has done. And I see my son in you. I see my son in you. Talking about this hostility, I once uh, had an adult who used to help me on Wednesday nights. But they got got very upset one night because some students were talking or smacking. And they asked me, why do you keep doing this? Because some of them don't listen. They're, 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 they're against what we're trying to do here. Get rid of them. And I can't tell you how many times I've had someone tell me to get rid of someone else. Sometimes adults on adults, sometimes students on students, mostly students on students. And sometimes I've had to. But students, I want to tell you tonight that these outward actions are a reaction of what's going on in your soul. So you might balk at what we're doing here. You might balk at church. You might balk at having to hear the gospel. But know it's because there's hostility in you. And the Holy Spirit is working. And your flesh is rebelling against this. And that is why. That's why you act the way you do. So I warn you tonight, if you're sitting in here hostile, you can continue. Because to offend me is to just, you know, eventually I might have to ask you to stay home. That's the worst I can do. But to offend holy God, to be in rejection of him, to be in rebellion against his will, students, God's not going to allow that. In mercy, he will wait for a while. He will have the gospel preached to you more than once. But on the judgment day, if your heart is not found in Christ, then you will be cast into that lake of fire. And I'm not one who tries to use hell as a scare tactic. Because that's easy. You know, I could tell you for 30 minutes, I could tell you about screaming and pain and worms and fire and how it's going to happen to you unless you come down here and pray. I mean, that's easy. What's difficult is this. What's difficult is telling you the truth. That right now today, unless you repent and believe, you will perish. But it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, you can be reconciled as I have been. You can be brought back to the Lord out of rebellion. You can stand blameless before him. Verse 23, and if indeed you continue in the faith, holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you have heard. And this is what happens. 
Because I have watched too many Christians build their faith on a house of sand. They built it on church attendance and a prayer that they said and a little Bible that has their name on the front cover. And when life got hard, all of that came crumbling down. And they abandoned God, they abandoned church, they abandoned Christ at first opportunity. And when difficulty came, they ran. Are you stable or will you be shifted? What happens to a building in an earthquake when it's shifted off its foundation? It crumbles. It falls. And what will happen to you if you are not stable and found in this gospel of Christ? If you do not stand in the hope of this gospel, you will crumble and you will fall. I've seen it happen too many times, guys. I just had a student approach me this past weekend, a student that was here almost 10 years ago, near the beginning with me. He's a man now. And he approached me and he said, Mr. Josh, which is what he always called me, Mr. Josh. He said, Mr. Josh, I want to thank you for all those times we had together. I can't believe you would do that for us. And I, and I thanked him for encouraging me, and I told him two things. One, I said, I, I really did enjoy it. Contrary to popular belief, I do like lock-ins. <laughs> I'm just getting old. <laughs> and it's hard sometimes to stay awake. This is the truth. I do like them. The second thing is this. Jesus went out of his way to save me. And when I stand spiritually on the deck, and I look out into the sea of sin, and I see people drowning, guys, I can't help but try to throw those life preservers, to stand there and scream, grab hold. Grab on to what will save you. Grab on to what will bring you eternal life. Don't let your head sink beneath the waves. But some of us were once this way. We were hostile to the Lord. We were, as Ephesians 4.18 says, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. In Colossians 1.22, the verse we just read, again, he says, He has now reconciled his body, so he gave of himself, of the flesh, to his death, in order to present you holy and blameless. Students, what do you want? Do you want to be found rebelling against God, or do you want to be found holy and blameless? You can't get this holiness on your own. You can't get this blamelessness on your own. The only place to find it and obtain it is in the hand of Jesus Christ after he lifts you out of sin and bestows upon you salvation. And will you continue in this faith? And I'd like to encourage you now. I know that I browbeat you a little bit in the hostile mind, but it needs to be done. But let me lift you up now. Don't give up. Don't be shifted off this foundation of the gospel. Don't be lost when the storms come. Don't be like that building in the earthquake that crumbles at the first shake. Instead, stand firm. And how can you do that? Our final text tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, abound always in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What you do in the name of Jesus Christ is not in vain. Though the world may laugh at you and your, your, all your, your work may come to nothing, 
right? Everything you've built may turn to dust in front of you. If you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is being built in heaven. And nobody can destroy that. Nobody can take that away. Nobody can wreck what the Holy Spirit builds. So students, to be stable tonight, to know that you're going to be blameless before God is not to know that you're perfect. Because I believe you don't know, you know you're perfect. You're not perfect right now, don't you? Instead, know that he who works in you is perfect. He can be your firm foundation. He, Jesus, can hold you when the earthquake comes. So know tonight that your labor is not in vain. Know that if you continue in the faith, because Christ is over all, that the reason we can continue and be steadfast is for what we do in God's kingdom, not our own kingdom. It is when we build for ourselves that we see the destruction of sin. But when we build for God because He commands it, God will reveal the preeminence of His Son. He's going to reveal the preeminence of Christ. He's going to lift Jesus high and glorified. And guess where you'll be if your faith is in Him? You will be lifted with Him. And this is why God can say, when He welcomes you to the gates of heaven after you die, He can look at you and say, well done my good and faithful servant. You're not good. I'm not good. You're not faithful. I'm not faithful. But who is? Who was? And who is to come? The Lord Jesus Christ. The good and faithful servant. Students, children, adults, trust in him today. And your foundation will not be moved. You will not crumble. And you will not fall. But I leave you with warning. If you are in rejection, if you are in rebellion, if church is about something else for you than the Lord Jesus, then be, be afraid. You are in danger. And the only way to escape such perishment and such punishment is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you, Lord, you would wash upon us, Lord, your salvation. You would bring to those, Lord, who still stand in rejection, who don't even understand that their rebellion, Lord, against you is causing a chain reaction spiritually that will lead them to eternal death. Lord, shake them out of this apathy. Shake them out of this rebellion. Shake the very core of their heart. So instead, Lord, of laughing and jeering and jesting, they instead, Lord, would stand and lift their hands high, and worship, worship you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, and I ask now as we sing this last song, Lord, make yourself preeminent in our lives. Make yourself the most important thing in our lives. Make yourself the greatest, the best, the high, and the lifted up. I thank you, Lord, and in your name I pray. Amen. Amen.